This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Please enjoy Pastor Craig Groeschel as he delivers the week three teaching from the series Big C Church. Welcome to 12 Stone Summer. Today is week three of celebrating and learning from the Big C Church. And here's what I mean. I love being a part of 12 Stone and what we get to do together. And God is leading us to be a live-sent church, to invest more intensely as those who bless, train, and send. And live-sent is not a casual calling. This is a high calling. And while I love 12 Stone, I equally recognize that 12 Stone is not the only church on earth. Sure, we are the only church for some, but God is powerfully moving through many churches across this world. And every once in a while, we need a healthy dose of God's hand moving and teaching from sister churches. So let me introduce you to Craig Groeschel. He pastors Life Church, and while it is centered in Oklahoma City, they have 30-some campuses in eight states. And I met Craig over a decade ago, and, and I've learned a ton from him. And you might recognize his name from the forward on my home run book, but it's, it's been a few years since I've streamed one of his teachings. And he was doing a series called Overcomer. And on this particular week, he addressed what is often the thing that takes us out, and that is apathy. So today, we'll all be encouraged to shake off the apathy that holds us back and to rise up to the people God created us to be. We'll learn some of the costs of comfort and and wake up to the power of caring. So get your Bibles and your teaching notes, and let's be overcomers. I am an overcomer. Hey, welcome everybody today at all of our churches across the United States, on the other side of computer screens, all over the world. I wanna tell you that we're actually in part two of a four-part message series called Overcomer. And as we ease into this, let me just tell you something I believe is gonna happen. Uh, This week, I've been praying very diligently that God would speak to a few of you in a way that would significantly impact your life. And the reason I say a few is because I'm not naive enough to believe that everybody's gonna be rocked by the message I'm about to share. But I do honestly believe that there are some of you that you're gonna hear from God in a way today that's going to awaken something on the inside of you and move you out of your comfort zone into a place of faith and impact that you've never ever known before. So just want you to know, a few of you, be ready for this. If it impacts you in this way and you wanna let me know some way, it would mean a lot to me, but I've really, really been praying that it would speak to some of you in a a really, really powerful way. Uh, Let me introduce the message this way. We're talking about overcoming different things. I'll I'll introduce it with a story that I'm not proud to tell, uh, but it's the truth. Uh, Let me give you context first. Sunday afternoon is hands down the most, my favorite time of the week, always, always, always. And the reason is because The message is finished, my family's usually together, uh, and there's a little window between 
my work was complete for the week and Monday morning at 7.30 a.m. when it all starts over again. And so for me, it's that, ah, okay, I'm thankful it's done and there's this little window of, um, of I just, it's just, it's bliss. Uh, so a few Sundays ago, I was actually uh, in the afternoon and uh, had some, it was a beautiful day, unusually beautiful for the season. And so I was sitting by my pool, reading a book, just looking, going, oh, life is so good right now. A few minutes into it, I received a text from somebody that said, did you hear about the church bombings in Egypt? And I was like, I hadn't because I'd been working all day long. And I thought, what, what is this? And I um, looked it up <clears throat> online and I saw this just horrific news, most of you to remember it, that our brothers and sisters, other Christians were were killed while worshiping in church on a Sunday morning. And my heart just, I mean, just, it sank, became so heavy. And so I stopped and I prayed a real faithful prayer, not just a little, you know, but a, a real sincere going before God prayer. And then I took a moment, as silly as it sounds, but I posted about it, hoping that it would bring attention to others that may not know about it and they could pray as well. And then a red bird flew over the back of my yard and landed in a tree. I looked over at the bird, wow, cool bird, looked back down into my book and forgot about everything that happened this fast, that fast. I immediately went back to my incredibly comfortable life in my nice, safe backyard, enjoying a beautiful Sunday afternoon by the pool. And some time went by before I realized that I'd forgotten about the tragedy. And suddenly I kind of awoke out of my stupor and I was like, what in the world is wrong with me? Why in the world can I not care and hurt about something for more than a few minutes before I drift back into my own comfortable self-centered world? The subject I wanna to talk to you today about is overcoming the epidemic of apathy. Some have said that we are the apathetic generation. Don't care a whole lot, don't wanna get involved very much, it's not worth the effort, uh, lack of concern, lack of compassion. How do we overcome this epidemic of apathy? And to introduce this message to you, I wanna share with you a portion of a parable that Jesus told in response to a question from a religious expert. This religious expert did what a lot of us do, and he kinda of wanted to know, what do I need to do to get by? He said, uh, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, he answered the question with a question, what does the law say? And the guy said, well, the law says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Then the guy did exactly what many of us do, like if we were having a, uh, taking a chemistry class. What exactly do I need to do to pass the class? Or what do I need to do to make an A? Whatever it is, I wanna do the least possible to get my desired result. He, so, the guy looks back and says, so Jesus says, do likewise. And the guy said, okay, if I have to love, who's my neighbor? Who do I have to love? Do I have to love them? Do I, do I have to love everybody? Who do I have to love? And so Jesus told this parable. He said there was a man going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He was beaten and left half dead. So there's this guy bleeding and perhaps almost dying in a ditch. And Jesus tells this story to speak to this guy who wanted to know who he had to love. In Luke 10, verse 30, this is what Jesus said. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, what did the priest do? Say it with me, what did he do? He passed on the other side. 
He saw the guy over there, and instead of going and helping, he just kind of widened his stance, maybe looked at his phone, act like he didn't know what was going on, you know, and he passed on the other side. Jesus goes on with the parable and says in verse 32, so a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the injured man, what did he do? He passed on the other side. What a powerful image of apathy. I see the guy, but I don't wanna get involved. There's too much risk. I've got too much going on. They need me back at the temple anyway. I've got a busy life. It could be dangerous for me. I know he's in bad shape, but I don't really want to get along. It's not worth the effort. Some have called our generation, you know what they call it? The meh generation. How do you feel about things? Meh. Did you want to get involved? Meh. What are you passionate about? Meh. Why is it, do you think, that so many of us find it difficult to care the way Jesus calls us to care? Why is it that a pastor, not just a Christian, but a pastor, can be really, really, really wrecked for three minutes by a tragedy in the church and go back to my comfortable life? I wanna answer this with um, three different theories. I did a lot of research on this, and there's all sorts of reasons why maybe we don't care like Jesus called us to care. But here, in my opinion, are three ideas worth talking about. The first is this. Why don't we care like Jesus called us to care? Number one, the volume of information we're exposed to is overwhelming, isn't it? The volume of information is overwhelming. For example, if you're going through your feed at any given time on, on your phone, you might read about an earthquake in Nepal, a cat in Iowa falls into a hole, there's a car bombing in Syria, your friend is doing a GoFundMe account for a 12-year-old that needs surgery, and somebody saw the face of Jesus in their French toast. Yeah, there's so many different things that we're exposed to, it's difficult to care when there are so many things to care about. We're exposed to tragedies all the time. It's just another tragedy, another earthquake, another tornado, another bombing, and it's so difficult to care. Why don't we always care? One reason is because the volume of information we're exposed to is overwhelming. Second reason is because we feel helpless to make a change. The truth is many of you do kind of care about what you see and you'd like to do something, but you're thinking, who am I? I'm only one person. I mean, I, I, I don't have a lot of money. I can't get to that place. How can I make a difference? Besides, I'm just trying to get my own degree. You know, I'm just trying to pass the class. I'm just trying to pay the bills and keep my job. I'm just trying to get my two-year-old potty trained for the sake of God. Please go in the bathroom and get it done on your own. You know, whatever it is, I really do care, but I, I just, I don't think I can make that big of a difference. Why don't we care like Jesus called us to care? The volume of what we're exposed to is overwhelming. We feel like we can't really make a difference. Perhaps the most relevant and painful thought, if you're taking notes, is this. We're blessed and cursed with comfort. Think about it. We are so incredibly blessed with comfort. Every now and then you just have to acknowledge that. You have to embrace it. Virtually everybody listening to this message right now, the vast majority of us are incredibly blessed with comfort and cursed. We're blessed with comfort in that most of you can push an app and have a pizza delivered to you right now where you are within 30 minutes or so. 
Don't ever take that for granted. That is cocky, right? A pizza comes to you. You can, I, I talked to Alexa yesterday and ordered a pair of shoes. Alexa, send me shoes. Based on your ordering preference, you like these. Do would you like? Yes. And within two days, Amazon Prime will deliver them to my door. That's amazing, okay? You, you can binge watch your favorite show on Netflix and enjoy it up until the moment your television buffers. Then you are offended beyond measure and need the work of God to stop the demon of buffering. And it's not fair. Life is so hard. I can't watch Walking Dead because it's buffering. 45%, 45%, 45%, 45%. We're blessed and cursed with comfort. Because what's so difficult is the more comfortable our lives become, the more life tends to be about us. The more self-centered we are, the more focused we are. Comfort is like a drug. When we get a little bit of it, we want a little bit more of it and a little more of it. And before long as Christians, we're, at, we're actually trying to leverage God as the God who gets us what we want. I wanna go to a church that I like and I'm comfortable where I don't have to do too much, where they don't make me feel guilty. I want a God who makes my headaches go away and makes my bank account go up. I don't wanna hurt, I don't wanna suffer. God, I want you to do whatever it takes to make me more comfortable because we're blessed and cursed with comfort. Life is all about me. So how do we overcome this incredibly repulsive attitude of apathy. How, how do we break out of being the meh generation? What I want to do is give you a big thought and then a couple of directing thoughts that I believe can really spark something in a few of you in a way that will make a lasting difference. How do we overcome apathy? I'd love for you to write this down. What do we do? <clears throat> I want to suggest that we consistently, that you should consistently expose yourself to something that creates a righteous discomfort. Let me say it again. Consistently expose yourself to something that creates a righteous discomfort. There's a lot of words there, but every word is important. Consistently. If there is a lack of consistency, there will be a lack of interest. Consistently expose yourself to something that pushes you consistently. For example, every single one of you who have hurt at any time in your life, you know you can hurt for a little while, but if you're not consistently exposed to that which hurts you, immediately your interest goes back to yourself. Any one of you who've ever been to a developing nation and you walked into just abject poverty and the first day you were wrecked by it. How do they live like this? They don't have, they don't have all this kind of stuff and it just, it, it tears you up. And then at some point your mind shifts and you start to realize, but they seem so much more satisfied than I am. What is that all about? And then you wanna give them everything you can to help them. And then you realize that will actually hurt them rather than help them. And so you devote yourself to say, from this point forward, I'll never be the same. When I go back to where I came from, I'll be different. I'm gonna care like I've never cared before. I'm not gonna get upset about the things that upset me before because it wrecks you in a really good way. But if you don't consistently expose yourself to that which moves your heart, the moment you get back, what happens? Life happens. It takes back over, right? And the next thing you know, trying to pay the bills, trying to keep my job, 
trying to get my cat to the vet. And then, you know, then are you, oh, oh, I broke a fingernail. And I scuffed my new Jordans. Oh, dear God, I scuffed my new Jordans. And you just drift back. Because we're not consistently exposed to that which gives us a righteous discomfort. Let me talk about righteous discomfort. What do I mean by that? I mean that put yourself around some things that, that move you on behalf of God. Some things that you know break the heart of God. You're around it enough to where it starts to break your heart as well. Where you sit and you look on and say, no, hmm, I'm not okay with that. I know my God cares and put me on earth to make a difference, not on my watch. I'm not gonna allow this to happen. And when you consistently expose yourself to something that creates a righteous discomfort, suddenly apathy cannot exist in your heart. Apathy starts to change to a righteously fierce passion to make a difference in this world. How do we overcome this ugly spirit of apathy? We consistently expose ourselves to something that would give us a righteous discomfort. In fact, this is what the Apostle Paul did. And I wanna show you one of the most moving verses to me in scripture. But first, let me give you the context of, if you don't know about Paul. Uh, Paul was not always named Paul. Paul was previously Saul. Saul hated Christians. If there are those of you here who say, I'm not a Christian and I really hate Christians, you would love Saul. This guy, he would, he would kill Christians. That's how much he hated them. Then Saul had this radical encounter with the presence of the risen Christ. And immediately this guy is totally and completely changed. He went from a Christian hater to one of the boldest um, Jesus-sharing, gospel-moving people who've lived in the history of the world. And Paul consistently exposed himself to a group of people that created with him a righteous discomfort. And what I want you to do is I want you to watch what he says. It's one of the boldest, most other-centered statements in all the New Testament. And, and watch how he sets it up. Three different times, he essentially says, you're not gonna believe me, but I promise you this is true. And he's really trying to set this up because this is how much he ached on behalf of God for another group of people. He said this, Romans 9, verses one and two. He said, with Christ as my witness, number one, notice this, Jesus is my witness. I speak with utter truthfulness, number two. I promise you I'm not exaggerating a bit. He says, my conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. Three times, he wants you to know, he is not exaggerating, this is the dead honest truth. And here's what he says. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I have a righteous discomfort. There is no end to the, the anguish that I feel in my heart. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. Then he says this, and I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ. In other words, I'd be willing to be damned to hell if it would save them. What is that? that? That is the complete opposite of someone who doesn't care. That is, I am fully invested to the deepest measure. You see, I've been, I've been around them and around them, around them, around them, and my heart aches and breaks and is in sheer anguish on their behalf because they don't understand the truth of the grace of Jesus Christ. And I would do whatever it takes 
This, this is the kind of passion I believe that God wants every single one of us to have. When you care like that, you can't do nothing. Life is no longer about you. Life is about pleasing God by using what he gave you to make a difference in this world. You consistently expose yourself to something that creates in you a righteous discomfort that moves you out of your comfort zone into making such a big difference. What do we do when we start to have that? What do we do when we start to, to move in the direction of making a difference? Let me encourage you how to channel your passion with two big thoughts. The first one is this, focus on something. Focus on something. Focus on something. Because let's just be honest, the number of different causes in this world that could grab your attention are far too many to count, right? What could, what could we be upset about? I made a very, very short list of the first thing that came to my mind. I know some of you are moved deeply on behalf of the unborn. We must represent and, and help protect the lives of those not yet born. Some of you, it's racial injustice. Somebody has to do something, it might as well be me. I know many of you care about human trafficking or helping get clean drinking water to people around the world that one simple well would change a whole village. Some of you, it's cancer research. You lost somebody that you love and now you want to help them out. Some of you, it's fostering or adopting, helping uh, children find good and strong homes. Some of you, it's those in student ministry. You, you, your heart leaps for those to, that are teenagers to help them find the fullness of life in Christ. Some of you, it may be an overseas mission. You've been to some part of the world and you can name the place, the community, the village that your heart drifts toward them over and over and over again. It may be life groups by discipling and helping believers grow deeper in Jesus. It might be mental illness or helping people find freedom from pornography or addiction, alcohol, meth, whatever it is. And that's just the beginning. There's so many different things that we could be passionate about. And that's why we have to understand that there are so many different things again and again and again that will catch your attention, but only a few things will capture your heart. Many things will catch your attention, but there are a few things that catch your heart. Focus on those things. Focus on those things. It's no accident that you are righteously angry about a few things on behalf of God because God gave you those values to make a difference in this world. Focus on something, focus on something. And then when you get passionate, this is just a little side note, don't feel like you have to start something. You don't have to start something. A better plan often is to join someone who's already doing it. Partnering with others is one of the most valuable things. In fact, this is the forefront of our strategy as a church. In our communities, every single life church has local mission partners. Rather than us starting what someone else is already doing, we take resources in the form of money and people and partner with those who are experts in doing what is already on our hearts. You don't have to always start something. You can join those who are doing it and then stay focused, stay focused, stay focused. This is what Jesus did. Think about it. Why did Jesus come? Again and again, he said why he came. He said the same thing in different ways. This is what a good leader does. A good leader says over and over again, the same thing in different ways. Why did Jesus come? He came to seek and save the lost. He didn't come for the righteous, but he came for sinners. 
He came that they may have life and life more abundantly. He didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. Why did he come? Jesus came to set the captives free. Over and over and over again, it was the same thing said in different ways. He was incredibly focused. He was so focused that what was he able to do? He was able to attract the attention of other followers who would then become leaders of his cause moving forward the kingdom of God. Why? Because focused passion attracts. And apathy is one of the most repulsive emotions on planet earth. Passion attracts. There were other men who were willing to leave everything to follow Jesus. Why? He had a focused passion. I'm here to show them the love of my Father. I'm here to set them free. Focus on something. Listen, you can make a little bitty difference in a lot of places, or if you let the Holy Spirit focus your passion, you can make a really, really, really big difference in a place or two. And this is, this is my driving passion. What, what am I passionate about? Have any idea? Let me just give you a little clue. I grew up going to church, but didn't understand the gospel. I thought because I believed in God and because I went to church seven or eight times a year, that made me a Christian. What am I passionate about? I'm passionate about helping people who don't know Christ find life in Christ and not just go to church, that's just such a beginning point, but to become the church because that's what we are as Jesus followers. We're not looking for a church that meets my needs. We are the church and we meet the needs of the world. We don't just go to church, we are the church, we are the church. That's who we are. And that's my passion. Now, can I make a difference in a bazillion different places in the world? Not a big one. But if I channel my focus in this direction, I can, with the help of God, spark tens of thousands of people to follow their passion. And guess what? I've just made a really big difference in the world by being focused, by being focused. My wife, Amy, she's, uh, she's very focused as the church, as the church, as the church, you know what she cares about? She cares about women so much coming out of abusive situations and helping children get in good homes. And so she actually ended up partnering with an organization and, and launched her first ministry home to help women. And then it outgrew that one and, and bought a bigger one, a 10 bedroom house. And now it's become full and now there's a second house. And she's got a team of people who are helping dozens of women coming out of human trafficking and out of prison and out of coming off of meth and all these other things, why? She could do little things in lots of different places, but when you channel your focus, when you're focused in one direction, you can make a really, really big difference. Immediately as you start, and this is what's gonna talk some of you out of this, the enemy is gonna tell you, you can't make a difference. You don't have those kind of resources. You, you, you're, you're, you're not good enough. You'll never make a difference. Listen, apathy makes excuses. Passion finds a way. Apathy makes excuses. Passion finds a way. When you channel your focus, suddenly you're gonna see the Holy Spirit moving in you through you, gathering people. Passion attracts others. Apathy is the most repulsive, disgusting emotion, and I will not tolerate our generation being characterized by something so ungodly. Focus on something. Focus on something. I don't know who this is, but there's somebody. It's, it's gonna, you're hearing this. It's for you, you'll never be the same. Focus on something. The second thing is this, I wanna encourage you, 
to embrace what hurts, embrace what hurts, embrace it. This is what uh, Paul said uh, about his, his people. He said, my heart, my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief. My heart is breaking for these people. And notice he pressed into that which was hurting. Here's the problem. This is so important. This is the lie that so many of us believe. It's easier not to care. It's easier not to get involved. It's, it's too risky for me. I mean, if I do something, I could get my feelings hurt. If I do something, it could cost me. It's gonna take my time and my time is so valuable. It's easier not to care. I would submit to you that I would rather hurt with a purpose than exist without one. I would rather hurt with a divine calling than exist without one. I, I would rather cry myself to sleep sometime at nights because we're not making the difference that we wanna make instead of binge watch myself to sleep, wasting my life doing nothing. Man, it's quiet here today. I think I'll just keep preaching until it gets so quiet you think there's a funeral going on, right? Because maybe it's talking to a few of you, telling you, I would rather ache with a calling, with a passion, something I care about, than to sit by the pool and enjoy my good book all the time. Embrace what hurts. Embrace it. If our version of Christianity is all about our comfort, we're following a false God. If I never give sacrificially anywhere, if I never serve when others are serving me, whenever, when I never pray for an hour at a time over something that's so moving my heart, if I never fast, because I need to deny myself something to seek God and maybe tap into his power in a new way. If I never just sit around and just cry and cry and cry and cry over somebody, over something, I'm missing one of the greatest blessings in life because so many think blessings is more of the stuff we want. Every now and then you just need to be blessed with a burden. Blessed with a burden. Blessed with a burden. Moses was blessed with a burden. It's not right that my people are treated this way until at some point he's moved and goes in before, let my people go. I'd rather hurt with a purpose than exist without one. David was blessed with a burden, a little shepherd boy, a little boy, what can he do? Whole army's afraid to fight Goliath. David, little shepherd boy, walks up and looks at Goliath and says, and who are you to come against the armies of my living God? Blessed with a burden. Nehemiah, in, the, in the serving a king in the palace, is brokenhearted over the walls of his home city, 800 miles away. Instead of staying in the comfort zone, he goes back, searches, organizes, and rallies some people. Fight, let's fight, let's get it done. Fight for your brothers and your sisters and your sons and your daughters. Fight for your families. Blessed with a burden. Jesus walks up and overlooks Jerusalem and breaks down crying, weeping, 
cries out to God, these people are sheep without a shepherd. I am the good shepherd and I will lay down my life for the sheep. I would rather hurt with a purpose that exists without one. Sadly, there are some of you who will hear this and go, eh, let's go eat. But I have a lot of confidence that God's gonna speak to a few of you and he's gonna stir something in you. I need to warn you, I'll be back. I'm not going away (laughs) because I got a passion and it's to move people out of their comfort zone to become fully devoted followers of Christ in the church as the church and I believe we're gonna make ground up every single day. I wanna close out with this prayer. This is my prayer for you. I did not write this prayer. I wish I did. Um, It's a Franciscan blessing and uh, this is my prayer for our church, for the church. May God bless you with discomfort and easy answers, half-truths and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression and exploitation of people so you may work for justice, freedom and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation and war so you may reach out to your hand to to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so you can do what others claim cannot be done. May God bless you, this is my part. May God bless you with a burden. May God bless you with the blessing of being out of your comfort zone, consistently exposing yourself to something that creates a righteous discomfort so you can never, ever be the same. Because when so many believe it's easier not to get involved, you know that you would rather hurt with a purpose than exist without one. So Father, we ask that you would stir us up this portion of your church out of our comfort zone, God, to please you in all that we do. So we're gonna continue that prayer in the room. So I want you to bow with me. And as we pray, it's obvious that God is speaking to some of you. That some of us have been called out, you could say. And it's from a very specific question. as you have a conversation with the Lord, I want you to answer this question between you and your heavenly Father. And the question is simple and it's this. Where in your life are you asking God to give you a holy burden, to be blessed by a burden? As you have that conversation with God, maybe, maybe it's in your own family that you're asking God to bless you with a burden for your family, to, to serve your family, to love your family, to be there for your family. And if you're honest, you could say, you know what, God, I've been a little apathetic to my family and I need to correct that. Father, give me a holy, bless me with a burden for my family. Maybe, maybe it's in your community where God has put you on map, on mission, to reach people for Jesus. Maybe you're asking God, God, please bless me with a burden for my community. I'm a little apathetic to my neighbors right now. Maybe it's in the church. Maybe you've grown apathetic in your part in being the church. 
and you're asking God, give me a burden for lost people. Give me tears for lost people. Wherever it is, you need to know that that is no small ask. That is no small prayer. And so Father, as prayers are going up in this room all over the place, Father, I, I wanna pray uniquely that you would answer each prayer individually. Father, you know the hearts, you know the minds of each prayer. Father, would you answer that prayer? Would you give them that burden? Would you bless them with the burden for their family to serve their kids and their, and their wives and their husbands? Would you give them a burden for the community to serve, to give sacrificially? Would you give them a burden for the church and the mission of the church to reach souls for you? And Father, as you answer those prayers, Father, would you give us strength and courage to say yes? It's one thing to get a burden, it's another to do something about it, Father. So would you equip us as your, as your people, as the church, to go out and make a difference? Father, get us out of our comfort zone so that people can be served and lives can be transformed. That is what you have equipped your church to do. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen. Amen.